Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more, more meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) How's it going? This is episode 105, and I'm Danielle Delamar. Happy spring break! I know it's not here for most people quite yet, but it's coming, and I hope you're excited, and I hope that you get everything you need over spring break, whether that be, you know, rest or play or being connected to those close to you. And in the spirit of spring break, I am re-releasing an interview I first released back in January of 2021. So I'm taking a little break here and bringing out of the vault one of my favorite interviews. This is with Dr. Caitlin Foss, who is a former psychology professor, former department chair, and somebody who struggled. And what I love about this interview is that she talks about just getting present and becoming okay with where she is, right? Like, I am in academia at this moment in time, (laughs) at this point in my life, and I can accept and embrace that and be present with that. And it is through that acceptance that she began to see how to live life meaningfully and how to connect better with her students and It was through this process that she also began to see new opportunities to leave, (laughs) right? But it wasn't until she accepted being there that that process started to unfold. I know that I'm always preaching that you don't want to run super fast out of your academic job. It is not the answer, even though it feels like the answer, right? Like, if I could just get out of this place, I'll be fine, right? I'm always saying, look, you're going to bring some of the stuff that wasn't working for you in the previous job to the new job. And what Caitlin talks about, this presence and this acceptance, is really the key to growing into a new career as opposed to just jumping from one wrong career to another wrong career, right? It's doing it with intention and care and calm. And honestly, another reason I bring this interview out of the vault is that it is the sort of first piece of practicing mindful self-compassion in the way that Dr. Kristen Neff talks about it, right? Remember back in episode 103 where I talked to Dr. Matthew Goodman and he outlined those three elements of mindful self-compassion? One is mindfulness, right? That's the first one. The second one is common humanity. The third one is self-kindness. So that first one, that one about mindfulness, that one about presence, 
that's the thing that Caitlin drives home in this interview. And it's the foundation of self-compassion because you can't like care for yourself and support yourself and hold yourself with kindness until you know what's going on with you, right? Like you have to be present with what's happening. At any rate, if you're inspired by this interview, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, (laughs) honestly, but if you're inspired by this interview and you want to do some more work around presence and practicing it, um, take a look at Caitlin's website, drcaitlinfoss.com, and I'll put it in the show notes. She has a number of meditations there to practice with. Okay, and now I bring to you Caitlin's awesome interview. Here it is now. Thank you for joining today. I am talking to Dr. Caitlin Foss, certified life coach. I am super excited to talk to you, Caitlin, because you have such a great story that so many people can learn from. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Danielle. So excited to be here with you and your listeners. Um, So I think that what you really bring today is, uh, uh, I mean, obviously you bring a lot of things, but one of the things I'm really thinking about is this wellness piece. Um, Because I think those are your clients, right? You work with people on issues of time and issues of um, wellness and trying to not be so overwhelmed and all that stuff. Would I, am I accurately capturing that? Oh, well, absolutely. That's what I'm doing. Helping professors reclaim their time because I'm a former tenured professor and department chair. I know what it's like. I guide my clients through a process of establish, embrace, and vision. So we Mm. dive into whatever area they need work on. And often it is time in the beginning, overeating, overdrinking, depends on where the client is, but it's all in that anchor framework that I use. And we do such good work together, getting their flywheels turning again and getting them unstuck. Yes. Yes. Okay. So two things that brings up for me. First, you have, you are in the process of writing a book and I know that it is about being unstuck, right? It is. And is this um, something that you are looking to sort of uh, target um, faculty or are you um, targeting a larger group? Yeah. So it's for high achievers who have climbed a lot of ladders. So that includes professors, but it also includes attorneys and veterinarians Mm. and doctors, anyone who felt like they climbed all the ladders, they checked off all the boxes, they did what everybody told them to do, and they still don't feel what they thought they'd feel on the other end. It's feeling kind of empty or stuck or overwhelmed and, oh, wait, maybe this isn't what I wanted. And maybe it is, but until I do the work to find out, I'm not going to know. I'm just going to keep treading water. Mm-hmm. So what did stuck feel like for you in your career as a professor? Um, I know that you got unstuck while still in that um, profession, 
But prior to that, when it really felt gross and terrible, what did stuck feel like for you? Yeah, so I was a third year professor in 2016 and thought I wanted to be a college administrator someday, was working my way towards tenure. And we had a university crisis that really surprised me. Uh, It involved administration and uh, people resigning and, you know, drama, let's say. (laughs) And with that, I was watching it like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't what I want to do for the next 30 years. Mm. Kind of looking around and saying, I don't want to be anyone that's here. I love them. And I really thought I wanted this. And yet this isn't it. So now what? So it was the drama. What what about the drama that was really not sitting well? Uh, Well, I think it was watching how people behaved and how people showed up for each other and that Mm. there was a lack of relationship. So there was a lot of uh, like secret meetings. And Mm. uh, if anybody's been involved in any kind of faculty drama or administration (laughs) drama or, you know, this idea that people don't like other people in any kind of corporation setting, even oh, somebody doesn't like somebody else. And so that means that's how we're going to make decisions that influence students. That was tough to swallow. I was like, wait, I'm part of a system right now that isn't as clean or holy as I thought it was. (laughs) Like, oh, of course. And this happens at all system levels, for sure. You see like the other side of it. But for me, it meant, oh, if that's true here, and, and like across higher education, you know, I viewed it as much more of a across higher education issue rather than my specific university. It's like, this is where we're headed with the student development and recruiting students. I don't think I want to be part of this system. This isn't my home. This isn't the system I want to continue to feed into. Wow. Yeah. And so what was the, what was it like to first acknowledge that to yourself that must have hurt oh so painful so many tears a lot of crying uh a lot of reflecting and just kind of sitting back now what's interesting is because i am such an overachiever and recovering it was like okay this what this means is that i need to apply for all the jobs okay so i'm gonna go get my copy of what color is your parachute and (laughs) make a resume and i like threw myself into a new version of work to be able to cope. (laughs) And I went on job interviews and I had a job offer in hand to be a statistical consultant that summer. And I remember standing there like, I, that would be great too, to pursue that path. And yet I, that's not it either. Like Mm. there's something else that I want to do. And I kind of need to sit still and watch what happens. This is not, You know, something in me, like intuition or listening to spirit, whatever words connect with you. It was like, Caitlin, stay still for a minute. (laughs) Stay still and listen and see what emerges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you, that wisdom spoke loud enough to where you didn't take the statistical consultancy position. Yes. Right. I stayed put and I said, okay. I really want out of this job. Like, I don't want 
I don't even want tenure anymore. I was very, you know, uh, this is on the inside. It's not like I was telling my colleagues this or anything, but it was just very, (laughs) I don't want it. And the way I phrase this story, because, you know, preview for everyone, this ends up, I do earn tenure and I become the department chair, as you heard in the beginning. And I had a seven year journey as a professor. So this is year three. And I say, okay, I put on my golden handcuffs when I walked into this position. Like I willingly signed up for this and I really thought I wanted it. And here I am in 2016 pulling against them. I'm like, who put these handcuffs on me? How dare the system? I was like angry and righteous. And like, I am going to take these off and throw them at the person who, you know, like at the people who are running this system and take down the system. Okay. So that was like a, okay, well, that's not going to be effective. You can't just throw away these handcuffs you're just going to go find them in another avenue so sit still learn how to love this like make peace with these handcuffs that you're wearing and then you're going to be able to take them off with grace and ease and you did you told me the story about gracefully and ease easefully (laughs) with ease handing over your department keys right isn't that what what it was I did. I did. I said, you know, I, I, that summer of 2016, I sat and I listened and I waited. I discovered coaching, which was something I loved so much and was so tied to the mentoring that I was doing with students anyways. And I made peace with what I was doing in my job. I wasn't over striving or overachieving at it as a professor. I was still publishing. I was still mentoring my students. I had some of the best relationships with students. Like, I'm so grateful that I stayed another four years. It's not like, Mm. and then I was miserable for your four more years. No, it was, oh, look at how beautiful this is in the present moment. Look at how I can really help Mm. these students, especially if I'm not grasping and so Mm. attached to Mm. being successful at it. What if I am like, Maybe it doesn't matter if I'm successful. That's where the magic happened. That's where, you know, we, I, my work like brought out the light in the students. They were able to shine because now I'm willing to shine and we're able to do our work together. And, um, all like that whole process was because I was able to drop the reins and just make peace with where I was. So, on And, you know, there were also certainly faculty meetings and times when I wanted to speak up and I, I sat still, right? I said, not now, Caitlin, or this isn't the time and place, or, you know, it's not like, it was, it was a 50-50 experience, right? Life is full of 50% positive emotions, 50% negative emotions. So as much as I talk about, I love those four years, yeah, and like, and half of it was miserable it goes both ways Mm -hmm. just like Mm -hmm. all of life is and it's not about the job like I had to make peace with it's not about the circumstance of the job it is how am I managing my emotions how am I sitting with all of this uh and I learned that through coaching and then built my business over four years it was like you know in 2018 I almost walked away from it I was like I'm just gonna stick it out with tenure and I'm gonna you know, I'm not going to build a coaching business. I'm just going to abandon it. It's fine. And then uh, I I added life coaching to my coaching experience and was like, oh no, this is definitely a place I want to go. This is so amazing. Mm. And that was, that happened right after I thought I was just going to give up on the business. 
So it's like unpredictable, right? It's not this cookie cutter, you know, and in 2016, I knew I was going to be able to leave in 2020, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like having the plan and the ladder, I just had to drop all that, like stop the ladder climbing, Caitlin. And then you get what you want. Then you can turn in your golden handcuffs. Mm, I love it. Okay, so so when you're present, you can recognize opportunities that show up, like life coaching. Oh my God, this is something I actually might want to do. Maybe I don't have to stick to that previous decision. Um, I guess I just want to point that out because I think that we get so rigid, right? Um, so this, digging our heels in. Yeah. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? Well, like this is the way it has to be, or I am committed, and I cannot think about any other options until I earn tenure. Uh, I had to let that go, and mm-hmm. like go with the flow. Trust that things would continue to emerge and unfold for me in ways that I couldn't have even predicted. Like, oh, I. It's even more enjoyable if I just let the universe do what it's doing, watch it unfold, and go along for the ride. Stop yes. pushing and resisting and trying to achieve. Oh my gosh, so real. Like I can relate to this so much. And so for me, the toughest part is the trust. Um, it's always been the hardest part, right? Because you believe that you know better. <laughs> Like, you can't just throw your hat in the ring and let things happen. Um, You know better. You can make plans. You're the one that can make this happen the way it's supposed to happen. Um, And so trusting that, like, what you have in your mind actually may not be as good as what the universe has in store for you. That was such a hard lesson for me. Um, What about you? What about you and trust? ongoing work. So one of the things that came up when I, when I knew it wasn't time to leave or like when I know something to be true, some people have a gut feeling. I didn't, I've had, I've had IBS for 12 years. There's like very little gut feeling involved, (laughs) but there is a knowing that's a whole nother story about, um, like coming back to my body and not being a brain Uh. on a stick. But when I trust the knowing, you know, part of this was, okay, but I'm still scared. And so many of my clients face this. They're like, but if I'm scared, that means I can't trust the knowing. I can't pursue what I want to do. I'm like, no, it's the opposite. It means, oh, I'm scared? Perfect. That means I have an opportunity to to lean in and embrace the fear, kind of run towards it in a way. If you're going to run towards anything, don't make it a ladder. Run towards the feeling of fear backed by the trust of knowing And the visuals I like to use with this are my dogs have an invisible fence. They, their collars, you know, they don't want to even get near the beeping because that means there might be some pain. So they don't even go near it. But, you know, it's a, it's one, it's a very soft beep and then even little buzz that they would feel. And if they just stuck with the buzz for long enough, they'd be free on the other side to chase (laughs) all the squirrels that they want. If they only knew. And so, you know, and it's like some people talk about jumping off a cliff, although that makes it sound very drastic and like free falling. Uh, but there's all kinds of ways to visualize it for yourself of, oh, yeah, this is when I lean into my fear. Look at the freedom I get. Look at the contentment I get. So then 
once I had enough of those experiences, I was like, okay, I'm ready for the big leap. I'm ready for the, like, turn in the keys, tell them you're walking away from your salary. And Danielle, I will say it was quite the test because it was February of 2020. I did make this decision like, okay, it is time to leave because I'll say December of 2019, I was like, no, I'm probably here for another couple years. No big deal. You know, we'll see. And February, I'm like, oh no, it's time. I had the knowing. And then COVID hit. My husband loses his job. We don't have health insurance. I'm like, wait, 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 what? I, I mean, maybe I should back out of this. And it was like, yeah, these are just kind of tests, really. Like, you know, it's time to go. Can you lean into this and know it's still time to go? I was like, all right, let's go. And I did. And like, oh, wow, look what emerges when I lean into all of that fear. And I am willing to tell my colleagues whom I love dearly that I that it's time to leave. And all of that on the other end, there was health insurance. There was money. There was more money than I could have imagined. All of these things fell into place. We paid off all of our debt. It was just like, oh, I do get to live the life I dreamed up. Mm -hmm. I just, if I had hesitated or said, I know what's supposed to be the plan here, I'd still be in faculty meetings on Zoom. Oh my God. I know how horrible. (laughs) Okay. So I want to talk about what your thoughts are around this discomfort, right? We hate being uncomfortable. We hate feeling the fear. We hate all of that. And so we do always want to run from it. It's very like biological. And so how do we, um, how have you sort of trained yourself to do that? And how do you help your clients do that? Yeah. So I separate out, you know, because I'm trained as a psychology professor and in human development, I like to go back to the biology and to the pieces of this that I know are true for all humans. So, okay, we are all trying to seek pleasure, avoid pain, keep everything the same. That keeps us watching Netflix on the couch, not achieving things we want to do or like go out, you know, exiting the cave kind of thing. All right. If that's true, I need to embrace the discomfort and let it be hard and think about the long-term desires I have. And that piece of it is my prefrontal cortex. Like in my brain, my prefrontal cortex, the part that doesn't get developed all the way until we're 25, 30 years old, that piece knows what to do next. And that's the piece I need to continue to come back and listen to. It's my primitive brain, very in the moment, urge driven, you know, the piece of us that other animals have. Like, that's the piece that drives me to say, no, 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 stay still. Don't do anything when you're scared. Freeze or, you know, fight, fight or freeze. If I continue to listen to that piece, then I don't have access to my prefrontal cortex. And so I come back to that of like, yeah, I know that if I get triggered or if a part of me kind of flips, my amygdala flips, we'll say sometimes, of, I'm too scared. I'm paralyzed. I can't even move. I have coping strategies to calm that piece of my brain down. Oh, here's what we're going to do when we're too scared. And this is what I walk my clients through. Okay, you're too scared right now. Or like you're too, uh, you've got too much emotion kind of happening. And we're going to scale it back so you can feel what you need to feel 
without getting overwhelmed. And then when prefrontal cortex can come back online, so to speak, <laughs> now you have access to plan and follow through on what you said you were going to do. Uh, so a lot of my conversations are about the difference between is this prefrontal cortex or primitive brain talking right now? And how can we know the difference? How can we manage the voices in our head is one of the chapters in my book about we've got all these different voices. So can I recognize when there's like a scared kid inside of me that's talking versus the 34 year old version of me? Can I tell the difference when I can it then I have access to know what to do. Okay. And so are the voices in the head of an overachiever, do they have sort of a qualitative difference than, than others? Ooh, I think they're very similar. You know, like all humans have a variety of voices, but the more I work with my clients, you know, there's definitely some voices that sound really well intended that might sound like an old advisor or a teacher or the way the school system has set us up to just, you know, these beliefs that we think we have to continue to believe, like, and, and they sound like should statements, right? Well, I should be doing this, or I have to follow the rules, or I have to, you know, some version of it's like being a good girl, or kind of these sneaky ones that will hide if you and other people will believe with you like your friends will believe it with you but unless you have a coach or somebody facilitating holding the space for you to be like that's a belief that's not a fact then it's mm -hmm. very difficult to recognize the voice because you're like no that's a true statement that i need to follow the rules or you know or like uh it, it has to be this way or i or i have to go to a faculty meeting you're like well you don't have to do anything and my clients mm -hmm. are like wait what like yeah you mm -hmm. made that up it's all made up. It's just, you've got a voice telling you that in your head. Can you hear that voice that's telling you that? So qualitative differences, um, maybe, maybe. And I think there's labels that I find with my clients, you know, of like, okay, what do you call the voice that sounds like your mom? <laughs> what do you call the voice that sounds like I have a Corella DeVille voice, right? Like she comes <laughs> at me sometimes. And a lot of my clients can relate to that. Maybe it's not Corella for them, but they're like, oh yeah, there's a voice that comes at me and she yells, you know, it's like, yeah. So what's that yelling voice? And what's the teacher voice? What's the um, little kid? What's the little, mo what's the monster? There's all kinds of ways to frame it. There's nice voices in there too, but how do you manage the landscape? Uh, of what's going on in your brain. And then as you name the voices, you can distance from them a bit, right? I mean, that's the whole idea. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> then you don't believe them and attach to them and embrace them and think that's how it is. Yeah. Right. And there's, yeah. there's some really key distinctions there of making sure you don't push the voices away or try to like get them in line. And so that's a big bulk of what I do with my clients of, they'll be like, so then I try to tell the voice this. And, but it didn't work. And we kind of get into the details. Okay, okay, here's a different way to go about talking to that voice. So that's a lot of fun. I guess I want to ask about this whole thing around presence. You said to me that, uh, let's see, this was on the, the podcast notes. I had asked 
what is a guiding mantra for you? And you said um, something from the Dalai Lama. There are only two days in the year that nothing can be done. One is called yesterday and the other is called tomorrow. So today is the right day to love, believe, do, and mostly live. I know that we've said that you need to be able to sort of trust that the universe has things in store for you and that it's through presence that you can tap into that. Um, but I want to ask more about this presence lesson. So will you talk a little bit more about why presence is so very important? So I leave my job, right? And I had made peace with it. I did a lot of great work in those seven years and learned a lot of great lessons, life lessons. But now here I'm faced in the summer of 2020 with working for myself. And in some ways, you know, I had built my business for sure at this point. And so that was running pretty smoothly, but other things were starting to fall apart or kind of like my old way of being and or let's say a deeper cut of the go, go, go mentality. Like I had worked a lot on my time and uh, schedule and showing up for my family and all of these things. But now it was time for a deeper cut of actually slowing down and being in the present moment. And I resisted. I was like, no, no, no. I have a plan. This is like, my structure, my schedule for the rest of 2020. Here's how I would like this to go. <laughs> I was just reenacting some old patterns. And it was like, no, no, universe, like slow down, actually be present. And you know what you really need is, uh, is to do the next layer of connecting back with your body. How can you connect back with your body? Actually listen, because you're missing some key pieces. Like things are slipping by you because you're not staying in the present moment. Uh, so I discovered breathwork over the summer and was found meditation again. So in the way that, you know, I'd been doing 15 minutes of meditation for a couple of years. I thought that was fine. I thought, yeah, I mean, I'm present some of the time. And then I'd spent an hour meditating each day and doing my breathwork activity and going outside and sitting quietly and these activities that I kind of pretended I was doing before or I was just doing a little bit of. And now it was time to actually face it and be like, oh, this is the key to my next steps for where I want to be in my business, in my career, with my family, like here's the work that's in front of me. And if you don't resist this work, Caitlin, it will work out for you, right? That was all the fear getting stirred up about, but how are we going to pay the bills if I do more sitting around? And like, what do you mean a, a breath work and meditation every day? I don't think that's going to work out for me. <laughs> And I was like, no, it will if you trust. And that's part of like, oh, see, you get to pay off your debt. You get to make more money than you thought you were going to in 2020 if you really slow down and be present. So that has been everything of like, wow, there's so much I haven't been listening to or there's so much I haven't been paying attention to. Life is so much simpler than I make it out to be, <laughs> especially if I'm scrolling on social media or I had done a lot of work on social media, but actually it's reading every book. So 
being such a self-development, personal improvement person, the shadow side to that is like, you can't read one more book, Caitlin, like, or how many books <laughs> is it going to take to get the message that it's about presence, that it's about being still. Like, if your listeners are listening to this on a run or they're doing something else while they're listening to this podcast, I had to reach that point of, I can't listen to any more podcasts. I've listened to all of them. Am I actually enacting what they're talking about? Am I absorbing the ideas and re reading for like a repeat? You know, the teacher I work with now, it, it's, we talk about rereading something or sitting with a couple sentences over and over again. And it's, you know, okay, sure. I know that that's a thing. We teach students that, undergraduate students, but am I embodying it? Am I living and breathing it? So these past six months have been very eye-opening, very like, no, truly be present, Caitlin. And I know this is just another like leg in the journey, right? Of this time next year, I'll have, have even more to say about presence, but there is no there. It's not like I'm going to arrive and achieve something. The me thinking that of I could be even more present is actually just a sneaky way of saying I think there's somewhere to get to <laughs> I think uh, there's a ladder to climb it's like old patterns I think that we have this thing in our culture where it's all about mindfulness and you know be present and it it's to the point where you know often we just kind of think to ourselves, yeah, yeah, I'm present. I know that. I know how to do that. That, Yes. Uh-huh. Got it. Um, but we don't, as you say, really, really embrace it and really try to do it because we just think we need to know how to do it. Right? We just Like, no, 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 I know how to do it. And yeah. I guess, uh, I, yeah. So I don't know if you have more to say to that, but for me, uh, meditating when I first started was this very like, Everybody has to be quiet in my house and I'm going to get pissed off if you're not quiet because God damn it, I'm <laughs> meditating. And it was just this ridiculous thing. And then I would be like, I meditated, you know, I like, I, I was just very proud of myself for having done it. Um, and it wasn't ever about really, really connecting. It was just trying to get, it was more about avoiding and trying to get away from the stress of my life, the overwhelm of my life. And so I use meditation as a way to avoid. And mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of different ways people can use sort of quote unquote presence uh, activities, but they're not necessarily doing the thing that really makes presence most powerful. I love that. What you're making me think of are we try to do a shortcut of like, Hey, yeah, meditating and sitting still will be nice, but uh, you mean I might also have to feel pain? No, no, no. Sorry. Uh, and yes. for, for me, yes. like my love of meditation really came through the breath work. Like breath work was the thing that got me out of my head. I didn't realize how much I was in my head until I was doing the breath work and you, like all you can focus on is your breath. And then I realized, look how much pain and healing I need to do that is in, coming up in this process. If I shut this down, if I don't like open myself up, if I don't look at my shadows, if I don't 
look at all the things I'm resisting, then I'm, yeah, I'm going to stay numb and I'm going to stay not present. But it's, it's like another invisible fence analogy, right? Of just, I got to be willing to walk through that pain and be there as long as it takes so that I get to the other side. You know, the invisible fence, I talk about running through it sometimes, but sometimes you're walking very slowly through some of that pain and uh, pausing in it and really paying attention to it, letting it be there. Then you get the space, then you get the freedom. And so if you try to shortcut that, if you're like, yeah, meditation is going great or any kind of healing process or some kind of work that you're doing, you know, I mean, yeah, it's like going to the gym. You could lift five pound weights all day, every day. If that's your level, you know, you can get really comfortable with that, but you, if you want to continue to lift and stretch your muscles, so to speak, or kind of grow your muscles, then you, you increase the weight and it does feel hard at first. So meditation and doing some of these practices, it is very, yeah, it's hard at first and your brain runs all over the place and you don't know what to do and you're seeking out guidance and all this, but like you stick with it. And if there's anything we're good at as overachievers, it is sticking with something, but can, will we do it if there's pain is the, is the trick. Can you lean into your pain? As people are listening to this, um, they might be thinking to themselves, well, how, how can I do this? And so I guess my question for you is, you say that breathwork has really helped you. And so will you give people sort of an outline of what you do just to help them to sort of think through what they might be able to do? Um, I know everyone's different, but like, when do you do your breath work? How often do you do it? How do you do it? Those kinds mm. of things. Well, okay. So I actually don't want to answer that question because you don't want to know that I do it at three 30 in the morning that because some <laughs> listener just went, what are you doing up at three 30 in the morning? I can't do that. And they just shut down the whole conversation. So like listeners, stay with me, stay with me. It's not about when I do it or how I do it or like what I use specifically. It never is. It's mm -hmm. the willingness to show up and pay attention to what's around you. So it might not be breath work for you. Like it might be something else and it's probably sitting in your inbox or something someone told you about. For some mm, of the listeners, good. I'm like the third person that has mentioned breath work and that's their sign. Like, you know, everyone keeps talking about this. It's like, yeah, the universe is trying to get your attention right now. So listen and, and like Google it or explore or whatever, but just, like try it, see what comes up. Does it resonate with you? If it doesn't go on to the next thing and know that it's not one thing in the scheme of things. Like, you know, if I think about the healing work I've done in the past six months, it was also acupuncture. And um, we talked about being in nature and trying other exercise classes besides my CrossFit that I have loved for years. And uh, like completely just creative activities or things I wouldn't have thought to try in the past that now seemed available or seemed like, well, what about that? Let me try that. Let me see if it is part of the healing work I want to do. If I have the capacity to do that, it's part of trusting your body too, to know, like, do I have space to do this work right now? If you have young children running around in COVID time, you might not have as the space to do 
all the activities or like everything you want to try, but you can try one thing, see where it takes you. So I just want to point out that we keep coming back to presents and how it's through (laughs) presents that you learn all of these lessons about what you need to go try next and about, you know, what you should, you know, take more of or take less of and how to sort of change your life in, in all different sorts of ways. But you can't know that. As you say, if you're not connected to your body and your body signals and you're not connected to what's going on in your environment and how the two are interacting, like you can't know any of that. And so um, when I asked you that question, in my mind, it seemed to be you were like, look, it doesn't matter what I do. It matters that you communicate with your body and sort of the the immediate circumstances around you and be present with them enough to to put together your own practice in a way that works for just you. Yeah, and if you're saying, I don't know what to do next, it's always a lie. Like the statement, Mm -hmm. I don't know, is always a lie. It's your ego. It's like one of the voices distracting you from being present in the moment taking the very next best step for me it had to be a lot of slowing down because when you're present you can hear the difference in people's voices when they know something like when they really know the teacher I work with right now I'm like somehow everything you say it's just like I know that you actually know you're not just spewing out words about Mm -hmm. and we have so many people doing that And we're all doing it from like in the scheme of things, we're all doing it from time to time because we'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But hearing and listening for the people in your life that you're like, they get me, they see me. How about I spend more time with them so that I Mm -hmm. can keep recentering myself so that they keep reminding me of my own truth so that they Mm -hmm. can hold space for me and show me myself over and over again. So, so good. And I'm just reminded of, of what we often say when we're stuck in the rat race of academia. I don't know how to work less than 12 hours a day. Um, I don't know how I could possibly ever leave academia and make a, a life um, that that could be just as meaningful or fulfilling. I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know how. Um, Lies. And yeah, <laughs> love it. Love it. So good. Okay, Caitlin, tell us how we can reach you um, for for coaching. You also have Nushu Group. I, maybe I should ask you about that first. Tell me about what Nushu Group is. And I know you facilitate like a chapter or something. So will you talk about that for a second? Yeah, so Nushu Group is a space, it's a container of uh, where we meet in a group of women where you show up, I hold the space for you to do some journaling and to uh, express what comes out in that journaling if you want to. It's a space where you can be heard and seen without any judgment because if you think about having a conversation with a friend even they're going to jump in with things you should do 
ways you, you know, advice for you or sympathy or the way a friendship works, right? Or family mm-hmm. members. But in Nushu group, we're just witnessing each other. We're just showing up and being seen. And it sounds really simple. Or if you're kind of like, this sounds weird, like come check it out because it's one of these unique experiences that when you're on the other end, you're like, whoa, that was unlike anything I've done on Zoom before. I kind of like that. And it kind of made me uncomfortable maybe, but it was also amazing. Hmm. So that's my like teaser of come try it. It's a, I have it on my website. Uh, I spell my name C-A-I-T-L-I-N-F-A-A-S, two A's in the middle. And uh, you can come check it out. It's kind of like come drop it into a class kind of and pay what you want in the scheme of things. So that's a way I, I love to hold that space and watch women experience that together. I know how powerful it's been for me to actually be seen rather than do my performative hide behind who I think everybody else thinks I should be. And <laughs> you, get to, you just get to drop all of that in Nushu group and uh, be yourself. So, good. so that's uh, something I'm doing weekly right now. Some of my clients work one-to-one with me, so you can check that out on my website too. I can facilitate that um, experience, like whatever's coming up for you. If we dive into time first, if we dive into feeling overwhelmed or you want out of academia, you want to work on overeating, all of that, we can do a one-to-one work. And sometimes I run groups uh, throughout the year for like larger groups. But for now, those are the main ways I'm working with people that might be listening to this podcast. Awesome. 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 And so website, I think it's drcaitlinfoss.com. Yes, it is. Okay. Awesome. Anything you want to leave us with to just sort of wrap up our conversation? Yeah, I think it's one of these, listen to yourself when you shut off this podcast, actively think about what is the next thing I need to listen to. Don't just switch over to the next podcast. Don't just switch over to like back to yelling at the kids or whatever, whatever you need to do. It's just kind of like, can I take a moment and listen to myself about my next step or what I learned from this so that I can, I can gain that trust with myself again. So I can know I'm the best person to know what to do next. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. If the podcast has been valuable to you, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Connect with me, Danielle Delamar, PhD, on LinkedIn. And if you're ready to do the deep inner work that comes with personal growth and career wellness, schedule a free 20-minute consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Wishing you a self-compassionate career path. Take care.